Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, we welcome you to the Storyform Podcast. Um, today, I have as my guest a, a friend, uh, a community leader. Uh, Mr. Barry Cooper is here with us this morning, and I asked Barry to come on to the podcast to tell a little bit about his story, um, but also Barry is the executive director. Is that the title, Barry? Executive director? That's correct. Uh, executive, uh, executive director of JACOA uh, here in Jackson, and so we're going to talk a little bit about Barry's story. And we also are going to um, hear about the work that Barry does with Jacoa, a very, very important uh, healing, uh, transformative work uh, here in Jackson within our community. Barry, thanks for coming on the podcast this morning. Hey, it's good to be here, Will. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Barry, let's just begin. I, I know you're the executive director of Jacoa. How long have you been at Jacoa? Uh, let's see. In August, it'll be uh, 19 years. 19 years. 19 years. Yeah. That's a long tenure. It is. Yeah. It is. So just from the beginning, what does JACOA stand for? Uh, it stands for Jackson Area Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependency, which okay. is a very long title that uh, was shortened a long time ago to JACOA. JACOA. And how long has JACOA been in existence? Uh, JACOA was founded in 1964. Uh, by a council of uh, three individuals, uh, a Jewish housewife, um, a local businessman, and uh, a local physician. And they saw a need back in the day uh, that there were people struggling with alcoholism uh, in Jackson, Madison County area. Uh, and so they formed this council of three uh, with some insight from a few others and decided that they wanted to, uh, to do something to help. And so they um, would go out and counsel people in their homes um, as a council of three. And, of course, you know, over time, back then, you know, places were spread out quite a bit, and that travel uh, became cumbersome for them. Uh, and so they opened a smaller office downtown, or at their original office downtown, uh, and they actually had people that came to them uh, back then mm. for help. Okay, so long time within our community uh, in the 60s, seeing this need of their, their people who are struggling with addiction, and we want a place to help. We want a place to bring healing and transformation and sobriety. And, and so obviously being in the role that you've been in for as long as you've been in, um, I, I know that there in this kind of work, you wouldn't have stayed as long as you have stayed without this being a sense of calling for you very much so yeah it really is yeah. uh it, it started i um was completing uh, my graduate studies at freed hardeman university and uh we were required to do a 600 hour practicum um at some organization you know that we wanted to we, we were able to choose that and um i chose chicoa and um went in i remember uh I remember the first night pretty well, went in and was able to sit in on a couple of different things as a practicum student, but uh, primarily I sat in intensive outpatient sessions. 
So back then, they were at night. Back in the early 2000s, uh, they were held at night from, I think, 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, and there was an older gentleman, Mr. John Shankle, um, who's uh, since passed, a uh, very wise man, but um, he was the uh, teacher for the intensive outpatient sessions. And so I sat in on those uh, three nights a week and um, was just really able to, to gain a lot of wisdom from him, just listening to... Uh, him counsel those that came in for the class uh, and to hear the various stories that these people shared about their their struggles, their families, uh, their backgrounds, um, you know, the depths that their addiction had taken them. And it was really fascinating to me how um, Mr. Schenk was able to have just a positive effect on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they looked forward to come into this class uh, on those nights and was able to sit in on an aftercare session or two where people that were had finished treatment would come back and they would share uh, what was going on in their lives that was keeping them sober or clean that day. Mm. And so those meetings were really, um, really crucial. Uh, and we were able to do that a couple times a week um, at the center. And again, it was a little different from what I was experiencing downstairs. Um But we would have anywhere from 20 to 30 individuals in aftercare on any given night that we were having it. Um, And just hearing them go around the room and share, you know, hey, today was a rough day. I struggled with this. And somebody else was able to speak up and say, you know what, I'm dealing with that same issue as well. And so um, be able to hear um, some individuals that uh, shared some same commonalities, but we're also, you know, unique in themselves. Mm-hmm. So you're in college, uh, graduate school. Um, you have this practicum, and you you happen to choose this practicum part. And so, w- was it a pretty um, quick process that you said this is kind of what I want to give my life to? It was um, fairly fairly quick. I remember probably two thirds of the way through it. Uh, we would have a class, I think, once a month, roughly, uh, back at Freed, where we would sit down and we would just kind of discuss uh, what we were experiencing. And I remember one evening the class was over, everybody had left, and uh, it was just me and um, me and Dr. Cravens. And uh, I looked at him and said, hey, Dr. Cravens, I think I found what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I think I found my calling. I think I found um, what I'm passionate about. And he said, oh, what's that? And I said, I really th- I feel called to work it uh, with those struggling with addiction. Um, and I remember him looking at me and telling me, you know that that's one of the hardest populations um, and that the burnout rate's pretty, pretty high for that. And I said, I understand that. But I said, there's, you know, to me, that would be no greater challenge. It'd be great um, to be able to, you know, be able to help maybe pour into somebody's life that's struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you were captured. You you saw the work. You saw the environment of people that were sharing their story. That they were there was a community. There was sense a sense of care. We're in this together, and so pretty quickly you realize this is what I want to give my life to. And twenty years, almost, almost 20, twenty years later. Yeah. So would you agree with that assessment uh, that it is a very 
it's very difficult. It's a very difficult population. The burnout rate is really high. All the above. Yeah. It, it really is. Um, it, it's, um, we've seen a lot of struggles over the last 20 years. And a lot of things have changed over the last 20 years as far as uh, addiction and, and mental health um, issues that uh, we've seen nationally. Um, but we have. We've seen really um, positive success stories um, we've seen people that um, have walked through our doors that we may have thought, you know, this is going to be um, an incredible challenge for them to overcome. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't see the fruit immediately. Uh, we see them leave and we often wonder, did they get it? Did they really um, engage in the program while they were here? Mm-hmm. And it's not until, you know, four or five years later, they walk through that door and they say, guess what? I've stayed clean and sober for five years. Mm-hmm. And those are the days that we really, really cherish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get to celebrate, you get to see uh, all the goodness with that and the victories. And so you're a young graduate student. You realize there's something stirring within you. Um, you say, I want to give my life to this. So what was the path from that to I'm now you know, responsible for leading an organization was there, what was in between that? Sure. So I didn't start out as the executive director. Uh I actually started out um, in the uh, prevention program. So we had a um, prevention program of roughly three uh, employees. And I started out going into public school system, teaching an evidence-based prevention program to youth, to third and fourth grade students. Yeah. And we had about four schools that we would go out into um, with um, several classes at each school and, and teach a program about, um, you know, it was always, of course, anti-drug, anti-alcohol, um, building some leadership skills at an early age. We talked about peer pressure. Uh, we talked about making right choices. Uh, we talked about consequences of wrong choices. Um, and did that for several years and, and really, really enjoyed it. Um, Jackson, Madison County has some incredible schools and has some incredible teachers and administrators that um, allowed us to come in uh, and have 45 minutes or an hour with those kids, uh, hopefully to keep them from, um, you know, going down the path of, mm-hmm. of, of what we see a lot, you know, day to day now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, you know, that was a time in my life where, um, you know, we weren't seeing at that time, we weren't seeing those kids necessarily getting into trouble, but we knew that that trend was the age was getting younger and younger, um, for kids to start experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Um, at, at that point, um, the state kind of phased out that the funding for that, um, and uh, I became what was called a, a regional training coordinator. And there were seven of us uh, scattered across the state of Tennessee in different regions. And it was our responsibility to um, host um, roughly 130 regional training hours uh, per year in our region. And so we, um, we found speakers, and we would find um, – location for those meetings, uh, those trainings. Fellowship actually served uh, the barn. We had quite a few of those in the barn uh, back in the day. 
Um, and we would were responsible for advertising and getting the word out and getting people there. And, um, you know, topics varied from, um, mostly mental health and addiction type things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did, I did that for several years as well. And then our former director was nearing retirement age and, um, they appointed me as the assistant director back in 2010. Um, and so kind of under his tutelage, I learned, you know, what it was going to take to manage the operation, Mm -hmm. uh, the day-to-day operation. And, um, that, that was really challenging. Um, you know, we were, um, at that time we were facing some financial, uh, troubles within the organization, just the state, um, the, the funding that we were receiving from the state, um, statewide had been cut. Um, and so, you know, I had a lot of ideas that I wanted to, uh, to look at and, um, was actually named the director in October of 2012. Um, and really the first couple of years were, um, probably a couple of the hardest years I've ever had mm-hmm. just trying to, um, trying to turn the ship in a different direction mm-hmm. and um, made some mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, made some um, changes that we still um, follow today. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw some really incredible staff members come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, overall trying to change the dynamic of we want to meet people uh, where they're at when they walk in that door and um, do everything that we can to help facilitate the to change in the life that they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So your work is anybody can walk through the door of Jacoa. Absolutely. And, and, and there is a opportunity to say we have a, we have a space and we have a place for you to get help. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we encourage, you know, we encourage people to come in on their own. We want them to, mm-hmm. um, you know, we do have people that are court ordered, um, yeah. judges and, and probation officers, uh, you know, will say, okay, you know, you're, you're, you're being quote mandated to do, you know, short term there, um, treatment. Right. Uh, so, but we really love when people say, you know, I'm just t- sick and tired of being sick and tired. And yeah. they, um, they make that choice on their own to come in and get help. Yeah. Yeah. And so you are in, uh, the absolute, this, this, the, the trenches of people saying I'm desperate and I need help. And that's both, uh, this, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this double-edged sword of joy and heartache. It really is. And, you know, the main thing that we, we, try to stress to them is it all it takes is for you to reach your hand out or reach your hand up and say, I need help. Yeah. And for so many people that's hard, um, not just with addiction, but period. Yeah. Uh, someone's struggling financially, they're struggling with medical issues. Uh, they're struggling in their marriage for them to just be able to raise their hand or, you know, reach out to someone and say, Hey, I can't do this alone. I need right. help. Right. right. And you have a inpatient uh, treatment facility that people can come and what's the normal tenure? What's the normal stay? So we're considered a short term treatment program. Okay. So 28 days is, um, is really what we have with them, mm-hmm. which is just scratching the surface. Yeah. 
Um, we do all, also offer recovery housing. Okay. And then we also offer that intensive outpatient program. Um, now it's during the day, so it's four days a week. And so a lot of times, once the clients complete that 28-day residential program, they'll actually step down into intensive outpatient where they may go into one of our recovery homes or another recovery home, or they may go back to their own home, but come back to the center um, four days a week. Uh, so it's kind of a um, extension of treatment, I yeah. guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can technically yeah. be in, um, you know, be in recovery, be in a recovery home for six months, a year, you know, sometimes longer. Right. And I, and I, and I think that people, maybe people listening to this don't recognize or realize, or maybe they do, but I think for a lot of people understanding just the, the nature of addiction and, and, um, what it takes to, um, move to a place of sobriety long-term. Right. Yeah. And, right. and, and the structures that are needed for that. Absolutely. And it, it is a process. Um, I teach a group there, uh, once a month, the process of addiction and recovery. And I tell our clients that, um, you didn't become an addict overnight and you're not going to, um, you're not going to be healed or be fixed overnight. Mm-hmm. It, it is a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, 28 days, we give you the tools. We teach you about the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. We teach you, um, coping mechanisms, you know, ways to do things different. Uh, we have outside groups that come in and, and teach. Um, but it didn't happen overnight. It always starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, uh, innocently enough, um, they go to have some dental work done or they go to have a, a surgery, a medical procedure, uh, and they're prescribed pain pills. Mm-hmm. And they start by taking those the correct mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. But um, the pain may be so much that they say, hey, one feels good, but three feel makes me feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, over time, that three – can become six, can can become 12 and just snowball. Uh, And that's where you see uh, someone that's uh, actually physically dependent upon that substance. Mm -hmm. They have to have it in order uh, for their body or for them to survive day to day. And so um, that's really where um, you see, um, you see addiction start when they have to have it, when they'll do anything uh, they'll um, give up their families, give up great jobs, give up um, time with their kids uh, just to uh, meet that need to have that drug in their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's where we have to continue to, to realize just the, um, the prevailing nature of addiction and, and how that encompasses so many aspects of someone's life. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll often say to people, um, try to cut sugar for a week from your diet and see how hard that is. Um, you know, try to cut caffeine. Right. Um, imagine, you know, the sugar analogy. Um, yeah, no sweets, no sugar, um, it's, it's challenging, mm-hmm. but imagine 10,000 times more, right. um, physiologically, 
within your body, what your body is craving and, and the nature of, of, uh, particularly, you know, pain meds and, and pharmaceutical, uh, drugs, the, the effect of that is really staggering and, and the, the hold and the grip that that takes upon people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, for them, it's chasing the next high, you know, it's, um, and, and really, you know, it, they're masking something. So when they're yeah. using, they're masking a pain from the past, yeah. a current pain that, that's going on. They're using to, uh, escape the reality of facing, um, you know, Hey, I lost, um, I lost a child 20 years ago, or, um, I lost a, a family member or, you know, a loved one. Um, you know, um, it can be a host of things, yeah. but they're using to, to cover that up, yeah. to, you know, to fill that hole, um, that that's there. And it's not until they seek help until they say, you know, and it may come with consequences beforehand, you know, they may, uh, wind up getting in trouble with the law. They may, um, have a DUI. Um, they may have DCS step in and, uh, you know, remove their kids. Um, but it's not until, um, generally there's some type of consequence before they say, I I need to make change. I need to have a change in my life. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so I think that's, um, you mentioned, and I think you would probably agree with this just, and you probably see this, the high level of people who have significant trauma in their life, that's associated with addiction. Absolutely. Most almost all, always. Almost every case you yeah. see that. Yeah. Um, just case in point last week, I had to um, fill in and do just some real quick assessments uh, on uh, three individuals that came in. They were there for, to be admitted for treatment and um, takes about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, you know, on the, on the day they get there. And every single one of those cases had dealt with uh, domestic violence um, in the past, uh, in the not so, you know, distant past and when they were younger. Um, You know, so those three individuals that came in that day, they all three experienced Mm -hmm. um, domestic violence growing up, um, just dysfunctional families, broken families. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that probably 85 85, 90% of the people that we treat. Yeah. And so that the, the escape, the numbing, Mm -hmm. um, is, is found in the bottle or in the pill of this will, this will numb me out. Uh, This will help me escape. Um, this will help me not remember uh, the pain that I'm experiencing. I love you're saying the process is a holistic process. It is a, um, it is a, is a reality of, naming, entering in, doing the work, healing from the trauma that is causing someone to run to that. And I I know that within the recovery movement as well, um, much of it, uh, you think of the 12 steps were really founded in Judeo-Christian values and ethics. Um, can, can you speak, you're, you're a Christ follower, you're a believer. Can you speak to just, you know, seeing that part of the work of God, in the midst of healing and recovery, how does that enter in? Absolutely. So we are a 12 step program. Uh, we follow that, um, and have since, you know, Jacoa was formed. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And we see that fleshed out. You know, we teach them the 12 steps mm-hmm. while they're there. Mm-hmm. We teach them to the, the disease model concept as well. Um, and they actually begin working the steps while they're with us. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily finish those, mm-hmm. um, but they do start working those. And um, they do that in part uh, in a group setting, yeah. and they do that some individually while they're there. Um, we also see um, once a week we have a group of, um, we call them prayer warriors come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come out on Wednesday afternoon uh, every week. And we have kind of a kind of a sign up sheet due to COVID. You know, it used to be everybody would gather in the room um, and hear, you know, there that we wanted to, you know, be prayed for and be prayed over. Uh, now we have a sign up sheet, but we have seven or eight um, individuals that come in on Wednesdays, and our clients are able to uh, to sign up on Monday and Wednesday afternoons when they come in. Uh, these individuals. We'll sit down with them in 15 minute um, times and they will just uh, real, real quickly talk about where they're at and what they're struggling with and um, what what they would like prayer for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's strictly optional for the clients. Sure. It's not, you know, sure. mandatory. Right. Um, but we have seen uh, really true life change. Um, we've seen uh, men and women uh, give their lives to give their lives to Christ while they're in treatment. Mm -hmm. And, um, we have a little chapel upstairs, uh, that, um, oftentimes, uh, one of those prayer warriors will take them up there and, um, pray with them and, um, they'll pray the sinner's prayer. And, you know, we, um, we want to see as many people, um, we want to see as many people saved as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, well, just the recognition that, you know, when we know that various people may come with, um, you know, religious baggage, they mm-hmm. may come with woundedness, they may come with, um, you know, all kinds of preconceived ideas about the church and who Jesus is. And, and so there is a, a patience, there's a process with that. Um, but also knowing that just the reality of, I, I can't do this on my own. Right. You know, I can't, I can't, I need, I need others. I need a power outside of myself. Uh, to help me, to help me heal. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, every, they're surrounded from the minute they walk in the door to the minute they leave, they're surrounded by people um, that are encouraging them and that are supporting them yeah. and that are, um, you know, reaching out to help them that are non-judgmental. Yeah. Um, many of them have been in those same seats yeah. and um, you know, they know that those people love them and are pulling for them yeah. They're on their side. Yep. Um, and that's where you see true change mm-hmm. is when they're, they see that those people really care. Um, and they're not, you know, just there um, to give lip service, but they themselves, many of them have been through treatment programs themselves and they've had losses in their lives, but they've worked really hard and, you know, turned it over to their high power. Mm-hmm. And they've um, now they're there giving back. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of the recovery movement is the, um, there is, there is no sense of, uh, socioeconomic hierarchy. Uh, you know, you may have, um, you know, uh, someone who is in a, 
um, upper middle class or upper upper class uh, in with someone who is less fortunate. Uh, and so there is no sense of uh, delineation within that. Um, and there's this kind of plurality of we are all here because we um, need each other. Uh, we need healing. Uh, we need to encourage and help one another. And the, the, the re- reality of community is you didn't, you didn't get into addiction alone and you're not going to heal alone. That's right. You know, there is this aspect of we, this, we need each other in the midst of that. And that's the beauty of it. And, and then those who have had sobriety say, I want to, uh, I know, I know what it's like. I can, I can read, uh, the, the situation I I can read where this person is because I have been there and now I want to help pull others through that. I want to help sponsor others. Uh, I want to be somebody who can walk alongside when this person's struggling at 2 a.m. and they really just want to go, um, you know, have a six pack or, you know, go, um, you know, uh, have a several pills to anesthetize the pain. Mm-hmm. They've got somebody there. And I think that's the beauty of the, the recovery movement. And they, you know, they, they say that, um, you know, they, in order for them, they get, they give back what they were, you know, what they received. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we see on a day-to-day basis is they're giving away, um, their, um, you know, how they learn. Everybody learns differently and everybody receives differently. And so they're giving back, you know, each in a different way that's going to, um, just be another tool for that person that's in that seat, uh, there to, you know, to hopefully have a different chance at life. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Barry, answer this for me. I, I, you know, what, what would you say? And this is a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast, but families who are dealing with, um, you know, members of their family dealing with addiction and a, a mother and a father dealing with a son or daughter who is struggling with addiction. And, and I have sat with families and just the heartache, the heartache of saying, you know, we are, we're powerless in our ability to bring change to this person. Right. And so just that angst that families feel when they watch someone who is bound and struggling with addiction, it's like, you know, you see your, your child playing on a train track and you hear the train coming and the child is just sitting there waving at you unaware that this train is barreling towards them. That's kind of the feeling that families feel. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how, what process, I know, again, I know this is a long topic for another day, but how would you help parents who are saying, I, I, I don't have any power to help my son or daughter? Right. First, I would say that there is hope. Treatment and recovery, recovery do work. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a process. Um, I always encourage families to immerse themselves in learning about addiction yeah. and um, how it changes the brain chemistry and what they're struggling with. Um, you know, so many times it's easy for families after, um, you know, some, you know, so many months or so many years to just try to write, you know, write that person off. Um, but families do heal and individuals do 
um, become receptive to the help. And they do oftentimes raise their hand at some point and say, I can't do this anymore. And so I encourage families to attend Al-Anon meetings mm-hmm. and to, um, to surround themselves with a support group yeah. of others that have been through it mm-hmm. um, that can speak life to them and, you know, share in their grief uh, and share in their concerns and worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just as there is a movement within the AA movement, there's also an Al-Anon movement that mm-hmm. helps families know how to navigate that. And it's kind of that passing it forward, uh, paying it forward. Those who have experienced that then were able to sit in the seat and help those others Absolutely. who are experiencing that as well. Yeah. yeah. That's a powerful thing. And you never want them to go it alone. You always yeah. want them to, to, you know, to be surrounded with resources and, you know, we try to do a good job uh, of providing those resources to families when they when they come in, when they request those. Um, you know, there's some great meetings all across West Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, now you can find Al-Anon Zoom meetings um, pretty much um, every day, multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of great um, books out there that families can read. Um but really for those families to just um, not give up yeah. is the main message. Don't give up. Yeah. So when we think of addiction, when we think of the result of what that does, when we think of how addiction is um, engaged and dealt with within our society, it's a very um, hidden, um, there's a lot of shame associated with it. Um, there is a, uh, a messiness to it of, it's not just five here you do these four things and everything gets better oftentimes it's three steps toward two steps back it's right. it's just a there is periods of sobriety and maybe they have a relapse and then there's sobriety and and they continue in that sense and so it is a um it's a war in a, in a lot of ways it and it's a good war it's a good war to fight within our world within our society so Barry when you think of the body of Christ when you think of the church more kind of uh, within a city, uh, not just a singular church, but just the God's people. How can God's people help? I think the greatest way that they can help would be um, to be understanding yeah. and to be accepting yeah. and to uh, know that uh, individuals struggling with addiction, uh, many of them started out just innocently enough, like I, I mentioned earlier, and that, like you said, it knows no addiction, knows no socioeconomic, um, that um, as a church member, um, they may be experiencing it in their own families or uh, at some point they might, and they're going to want to have or know people uh, that can surround them and love them and walk with them through it. And, you know, I would really encourage them to, um, you know, we we love visitors. Come out and visit our treatment center. Let Mm -hmm. us show you around. Let us show you what we do. Um, Let us introduce you to some of our staff members that have have, um, had those struggles in their lives and that have overcome them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, often... Too often times there's you know so much stigma involved yes. with addiction yes. and um, I think you know the church as a whole 
has has really opened up um, over the last 20 years. Um, we see a lot of meetings being held in churches, a lot of AA meetings and NA. Um, and we see, you know, groups uh, that have been formed um, to help uh, those struggling with addiction, support groups. Um, and so anytime churches can do that and they can open their arms and embrace that, um, I think that's helpful. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is just that when when churches can say, uh, we're here to love you, we're here to walk with you, we're here to recognize the complexity of addiction, um, we're not going to bring pat answers to things. We're going to wrestle with you through the heartache of this. And, um, and that's a, it's a very difficult work and yet it's rewarding. It's needed. It's, it's, um, you know, the, the work of Christ, uh, among, among broken, hurting, needing people. It is. And, and I think that that is, um, you know, the, the, the call for, you know, how, how do we create more of a, um, a welcoming there, there is a space for you to come and to heal. And, and I think it starts with the recognition that, um, for all of us, I, I, I like this idea that if we had an x-ray machine, uh, the, at the church door that x-rayed all of our inner life, that x-rayed all of the things that we struggle with in our hidden life, that x-rayed all of our thoughts uh, all of our struggles, every one of us, Everybody. every yeah. one of us would see, wow, we are yeah. in desperate need. We're and all so broken people. We're, yeah. we're all sinners saved by God's yes. grace. And, and we know. need, yeah, that's if when I recognize, you know, I, um, I am just as desperate uh, as that individual. And yet, you know, it, it may be more sanitized. It may be more... Um, you know, hidden behind a wall of whatever. Um, but I think it starts with that of saying, um, it's by God's grace that I am not in this position as well. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and I could very well experience this and, and just a, the, the, the compassion, the, um, the often heart wrenching reality of your walking with someone and, um, you know, you, you're encouraged because you see there's, there is sobriety and then they have a setback and then they move away or, you know, they, they pull away and they isolate and you go after them. And it's just, um, a worthy needed, um, beautiful calling. And yet it's a, it's a very difficult calling. It is. Yeah. It's challenging. So given that reality, you've done this for several decades I like to ask, uh, we had another community leader on the podcast that deals with kind of a, a similar work, but so, so Barry, how do you, um, how do you maintain your, um, you know, your, your sense of like, okay, um, I, I'm involved in a lot of difficulty laboring. I would put it in that term. You're laboring for these people. You want to see them. Uh, get clean. You want to see them repair their life. You want to see them good, be good moms and dads. And that's a, an, an intensely emotional work. 
Um, so how do you put practices in place to, uh, stay vibrant, to stay focused, to stay, you know, and that it doesn't just become this beast that consumes you. Right. It, it is hard not to take, take that home. And, and, you know, we, we get calls and we get messages and text all the time from people, you know, reaching out for help. Um, and you know, I'm just not one to, to say, no, we want to make it work however we can. If it's not with us, you know, we want to get them a referral for somewhere else, but, um, you do have to set healthy boundaries. Um, you do have to take time away. Um, you know, personally, um, um, a couple times a year, we, a couple of guys go, we take a break and go get out of town and go, uh, go trout fishing, um, go canoeing, go kayak. And, um, you know, we're all in different fields, but we're all in fields that are, um, you know, challenging that, that, that are very emotional, emotionally charged, a lot of emotionally charged days. And so we want to do, uh, have some healthy outlets. Yeah. Um, just to be able to have a break mm-hmm. and we encourage that with our staff you know please take time off um you can't help somebody if um if you're worn down yeah um if you're you know if you're needing a break that that's you're not going to be able to fully serve them unless you're you're um running on a full tank yeah full tank of gas yeah. Yeah, and I love how you're saying I, I engage with beauty, get out in creation, uh, get out in nature. Uh, I, there needs to be some sort of practices for renewal. Um, I have a, a reset of whatever my practices are uh, because it is it is very emotional. It is a very is. difficult, draining, and and you know absolutely worthy work to stand in the gap of um, significant, uh, Christ oriented, um, ministry. Um, and, 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 you know, you've done it for several decades now. And so, um, a couple more questions before we wrap up here. Um, what, uh, when you think of victories, what comes to mind for you? Um, you know, I'll do an exit. I do exit interviews with clients that are leaving. And so we'll kind of gather, you know, just, Hey, how, how was your, you know, how was your time here? Um, you know, did, did you enjoy, uh, the different components of the program? Did the staff treat you well? Is there anything we could do differently that, you know, might make this program better? Um, it's always interesting to hear, um, hear their stories as they leave. Um, I had a lady yesterday that came in and, um, you know, when I asked her the question, you know, did you, did you, did staff reach well? Was everything good? And she said, actually, yes, uh, it was not what I thought it was going to be. Hmm. And I said, Oh, what, what did you think it was going to be? And she said, I thought it was going to be a cult. And I said, <laughs> no, treatment is not a cult. Um, uh, recovery is not a cult. Um, but it is, uh, a collective group of individuals that, um, share a common goal. Yeah. And that led to a good conversation. Um, one thing that we do is they have a, on their last day paperwork, they have a blank piece of paper that's a, where they have a space to write testimonials. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, really, uh, victory, uh, is just periodically going in there in the office and, um, 
we have two or three humongous binders full of those. Mm. And just reading through them as a reminder, um, people share people share on those testimonials a lot of just personal information that, you know, you don't really know. I don't get to uh, be upstairs with them on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but to hear those stories of redemption and what they're uh, looking forward to gaining when they leave. Um, and like I said, seeing somebody come back um, after years or – um, beautiful thing is hiring somebody that's in recovery <laughs> mm-hmm. and for them um, mm-hmm. to be able to give away what they, what they received. Yeah. Those are, those yeah. are true victories. Yeah. I'm sure over a couple of decades, you have people and names and faces and stories and um, uh, just a sense of seeing um uh, the before and after, uh, seeing someone, uh, in their worst state and yet seeing someone, uh, flourishing and thriving and whole. And, um, and, and so, uh, you know, not every work, uh, has that result, but there's a lot that do. And I am so thankful that we have, um, programs within our community, uh, that are willing to say, we want to, bring, uh, shalom, uh, to our city. And we want to see restoration and wholeness and help and healing and sobriety. And, um, and we're going to be in the trenches and we're going to be doing this work over the long haul. And, uh, it is a, it's a very, very worthy work. So just as we end here, Barry, um, just how can our listeners pray for you? Um, I would say pray for, um, just pray for our staff, pray that, um, you know, just their daily struggles, um, but that, you know, they're able to go in and like I said, meet those individuals where they're at with no judgment, um, with no, um, you know, they are walking with them on a daily basis. Um, just pray, you know, God's been um, he's provided for us for, you know, so many years and that, um, you know, we have no, um, we have no worries. We, we, we know that he provides for us, uh, our agency and, um, just pray that we continue to reach people. Um, maybe uh, even on a deeper level than we're reaching them now, uh, that, um, that we will be able to, um, just, um, increase the number of people that, um, we serve, um, and, um, and those that are there doing the work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Barry, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was very, uh, very informative, but also, um, very encouraging to my heart, uh, to hear someone who is, um, giving their life away and this significant calling. Thank you for having me. Will. Uh-huh. Thank you for joining us today on the Story Form podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.